encourage you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift to the industry. I loved your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going today? I'm doing well. I'm an hour and a half away from getting on an airplane in the middle of what is like this tropical Arctic hurricane weather. So that'll be fun. And good news, I'm just flying straight all the way down the path of the whole storm. So we'll see how that works out. But I'm excited. I'm excited for another good episode and continuing to go here in 2024. Yeah, wave when you go by and they canceled school today. So it must be pretty serious that they canceled school today. And then I'm looking out there and I'm like, this is not that big of a deal, but I, I will probably come to regret those words. So anyways, how's it going in your neck of the woods, Adam? Any storm impacts or are things okay up there right now? I don't know. I'm with you, Conrad. Our, our school is canceled as well. And I'm, I'm not seeing much. And I, I would have thought that you coming from Boston would have had uh, some more grit around those storm cancellations. I am not a fan of these early cancellations from school. It just doesn't make much sense to me. But well, we're going to go off topic side. for a second, but it's because this e-learning thing where they can say, oh, it's not yes. a cancellation. It's an e-learning day. So like like when I was a kid and we had like snow cancel school, it was a day off. You would go and do whatever you want to do. You go sledding, you do this, do that. Kids don't get that nowadays. Now it's sit in your room, do your homework in your room by yourself. So yeah, our society is declining and that's just one more evidence point of it. But anyways, <laughs> keep going on. Just one one more. I totally agree. Yeah, they're doing remote learning. So this actually counts as school, but guaranteed there's not much work being done today. With that said, great to be here. We've got a pretty interesting guest, a little bit outside of the norm which I'll give a quick sports update to, to lead us into that. We are back in soccer. I'm going to leave that one aside. Indoor started last week. Great first game. We got the win 12 to 1. So I'm, I really need to figure out how to get the right level of competition. But the highlight for this week, Conrad, we're going to go back to the Bledsoe-Brady story that we've been talking about with my nephew. So over Christmas, we were chatting with him and he was really struggling about how can I get attention of this coach? Because the coach, for whatever reason, has this loyalty to this previous quarterback. And unfortunately, let's talk about the COVID times again, because of the COVID times, these, this player now gets an extra year of college and extra year of eligibility. So he's coming back as a fifth year. So as we were talking through it, we were like, look, you, you're the better quarterback. You just need to figure out how to get the, the coach's attention. Turns out he says, yeah, I'm thinking about playing baseball. So we were like, yes, you need to go play baseball. Now, meanwhile, he's done this in high school. He played at a 6A high school uh, up in Virginia. So the largest level that you can play Quarterback all four years, didn't play baseball, but after his fourth year decided, hey, I'm going to go play baseball, made the 6A baseball team. So after our conversation over Christmas, he goes back home, talks to his coach, throws around a little bit. Turns out he has a connection with the CNU baseball coach. Yesterday, he talks to the CNU baseball coach, and he's on the, the CNU baseball team starting uh, as of now. So a walk-on, gets his locker today. And so one, it's going to add some pressure to the high school or to the, the football coach. But two, this is a, a college team that is eligibility for the national championship. Now it's three, it's not division one, but this is a really competitive team. So as I was thinking through that process and, and then tying it back to today's discussion, I think we've got to find reasons to think outside of our normal box. And especially as we go into these challenging times, at least for us here in the U.S., We've got to start to look outside of the current influences that we have and think about where can we pick up some informa other information. Now, we've talked about thinking about hotels like that and how there's a gap in our industry because we really aren't paying attention to hotels. I think the other gap that we have 
that leads us into today is thinking a little bit more about how the European market works with vacation rentals and, and short-term lets, because they've been doing this for a very long time, and they've also been doing it at scale much more uh, so than the U.S. has and in different ways. So to lead us into today, we're going to be talking with someone out of the European market, which again, outside of the norm, but I think there's a lot of good insight that we can get from this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess my my transition point there, Adam, early in my career, I never realized like what it actually took to get a raise. Like in my in my job, I was like, I would get these little fractional raises. And I realized now looking back on it is that I had no leverage. And I think that's what your I think it's your nephew or your family member there. It has to apply, which is leverage, which is I can go somewhere else. I could do something differently. And then when someone is in the leadership position is faced with that idea of someone can go somewhere else or do something different and they're about to lose them, then they go, oh, no, we can't have that happen. We'll put you on this. We'll guarantee this many starts and so on and so forth. And if you don't have leverage, then you're maybe you're just not good enough. So that's the, the piece to figure out there. But yeah, oh, hopefully he can yeah, figure out the best path there. Awesome. Nico, welcome. We appreciate having you you know, here with us and you hopping on. We hit, talked a little bit before we hit record. like to learn a little bit more about you, obviously, for the listener. Uh, could you do a little bit of that, if you don't mind, a little bit of your history, your background, how you got to where you are today in this world of vacation rentals, even though it's on the other side of the pond? Um, and then could you also share a song that best describes you as well? Sure thing. Thanks, Conrad. And and thanks, guys, Adam and Scott as well, for having me on the call today. Much appreciated. Yeah, I guess um, my name is Nico, originally from originally from Finland, but actually grew up, went to high school in London, university in the States in South Carolina, go Cox, and, and then suit and tie career back in London. But the tie was getting a little too tight around the, the neck doing banking at one of the largest banks in Europe. And then uh, went back to Finland under the guise of a master's and started a fitness activities marketplace uh, app based on Android, iPhone uh, and web, which is based out of New York and Helsinki with an American guy that I ended up starting it with. We raised a bunch of capital and and expanded to in the U.S. and Northern Europe and also in the U.K. and then it exited in 2016. So my teeth have been cut. I'm a tech entrepreneur through and through. A guy that at the end of the day is rethinking business models, and that's how this fitness activities marketplace came around with aggregator of fitness. And, and then in terms of how Bob W came around, since 2012, I've been an Airbnb super host, first my apartment, then investment apartment, then a buddy's apartment, et cetera. And loved hosting people, loved making them feel, loved the Airbnb type experience, loved making the money. And, but then when I exited the fitness activities marketplace business in 2016, I was like, I need a break. I need to go try to find yin yang or zen or whatever I could get my hands on and preferably somewhere far away. So I packed up and went, went to Asia for eight months. And then you're thinking, how am I going to manage these seven apartments? Typical side hustle, right? Nobody, no employees, just the no cleaners on payroll. And, and I figured, yeah, hey, good, robust to-do list for the cleaners. Six months of soap in the closet, chat-based customer service, Couple of backup plans, aka at the time my broke brother who would do anything for 40 bucks, who was living close to the apartments that I had. And the whole thing worked out. But then, of course, when you come from this world where you're rethinking business models, you're thinking, man, this whole Airbnb hosting is such an amateur show that if you were actually in control of the full experience, the full stack, the, the technology, the hardware, the software, and you'd actually have the commercial resources that a hotel chains have to actually create the spaces for the purposes. You could actually build something that wouldn't just match the expectation of a hotel, but for the next generation of travel that ain't looking for a hotel, you could actually exceed those expectations and really create something that would just be the next level, the new elevated standard. And that's 
and that's basically the the background with Bob W. Then I went up traveling to Asia, and uh, I found myself even being this early adopter, getting that sort of let's call it the Airbnb fatigue of do I trust the host? Do I trust the pictures? Yeah, I trust the pictures, but isn't the ghetto? Is the washing machine actually going to work this time? I got a bag full of dirty drawers. I really need it to work this time around. And we've all been there, the active users. We understand the amazing sides of that and also the potential pitfalls. And that that point started looking at the market with my now German co-founder and just realizing that the hotel space is consolidated as hell, big brands, standards, five-star, four-star, three-star, where you know what you're going to get, but operators know what to operate, consumers know what they'll get, and and also from a perspective of real estate developers, they know what to build, even before you lay a brick and they know how much it's going to cost. And... Then you contrast that with the short stay rental space. And obviously that's particularly in, in Europe, but more broadly, it's a mom and pop space. There's a close to 4 million listings in Europe. And according to some studies, it's less than 1% like branded propositions in, in the in the whole, whole of it. So and then you there is no brands, there's no standards. There's not even a name for it. Short stay rentals, vacation rentals, extended stay as consumers call it airbnb even though airbnb doesn't rent their own own the apartments themselves so that's when we figured out okay let's create bob w which is a hybrid best of both worlds best of the hotel uh, best of the short stay rental experience package up into this affordable luxury brand called bob w and under the hood we make the whole thing run on technology so on the one hand we never screw things up and on the other hand we actually elevate the experience so from the hotels, we took the branded consistency, the promise of you know what you get, and actually commercial properties. We started off with individual apartments, and we actually ended up doing commercial properties, which in Europe, you've got a harder time doing these multifamily buildings that, that are under, that you could have long-term tenants in as well. So we, I think it's pretty cut and dry, either in residential or you're in commercial. And, and then we took from the short stage, we took this, this authenticity, the live like a local part, really scaled it into the apartments. And at the same time, utilities and amenities, the kitchens, the washing machines, the dishwashers. And I built that around Bob, the best host ever. You've the best host you've ever had times 10. The guy speaks eight languages, just learned it eighth as we expanded to Amsterdam with two properties a couple of months ago. Clearly well-educated, but a man of the people. And unlike a normal host, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a lunch break. The guy doesn't even need to take a piss. He will answer your messages in one minute, 20 seconds. And he's just the best host ever. He's got everything on his fingertips. And um, and then finally, under the hood, the whole thing runs on technology. So we, you know, we average right now you know, 50 units per property. And we have one FTE on payroll cleaners. Cleaners get super are not on payroll, but they get superpowers using get the apps in their hands where we're able to basically make them the quality control and the operational people. We don't need any front desk or any of that stuff over there. And on the other hand, we actually elevate that experience by having this amazing self-service apps that we've built, which consumers love and as witnessed by taxi apps and food apps and all that stuff. That amazingly empathetic Bob W., and and finally marketplace so we've got breakfast we've got gym we've got these auxiliary services that m make us really a full service offering but they're not at the property they're within a few hundred yards or they might be downstairs rented to a, a, a different party 
but we've got those offerings consistently. And from that perspective, we basically have a budget hotel cost structure and we make a lifestyle hotel ADR at the properties. And But to put it in industry lingo, we're obviously a hybrid of a short stay rental player and a, and, and a part hotel or hotel style player. And it's a mid-scale design focused apart hotel that runs on tech instead of people. Right that on. feels like an Airbnb. Right on. No, that makes sense. I like the, my favorite bit of that was the storytelling of around Bob, this mythical perfect host and things like that. I like that piece the best for sure. Exactly. I was going to ask you actually where the name came from because obviously Nico is not Bob. So Bob is this, yeah, so this character. Yeah. We always, we wanted to build around this perfect host, the whole brand, the whole, the interplay between the guests and the brand is the host right and but we were trying to think of these viking names because i'm from the arctic and my and and at the time there was the viking tv show and we were like trying to do ragnar and kari but like nobody could spell them to save their life and we're like this is gonna suck on google so (laughs) somebody pointed out that hey this whole mantra that you guys keep talking about that you're gonna build this best of both worlds concept but the hotel and the short stay rental this best of both worlds like it's actually the act would be b-o-b-w that that sounds like a host we're like shoot bob sounds like a really nice guy let's let's roll with that and lo and behold i guess here here these days we're we're in 16 cities across uh, 10 countries in europe with 36 apart hotels no no more individual apartments these days and and growing quite exponentially uh and and should have some good news around funding that we can publicize in a few weeks so go in place as well so good time to be in the space. And I think we've, we've all got an opportunity despite the economic headwinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll get some flack from my co-host if I let you off the hook on the song question. So we'll have to get to that. Ah. I got some other questions to go from there. Yeah. That's a good question. So I probably did the old Kenny or whoever that guy, Danger Zone from the, the yeah. movie, because it's just been this whole company was started right before <laughs> the pandemic started. And then Ukraine war and economic meltdown. It's like we can't get a damn break, but somehow we're getting through it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're yeah. building, you know, in a, I don't want to say warlike environment, but Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone is a is a song from Top Gun. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah. I think that's the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there we go. Yeah. Good stuff there. Awesome. Hey, Thanks, Nico. A few sorry. things to pick apart. Go ahead, Scott, please. No, sorry, sorry, Conrad. I didn't mean to jump on it, but, but it's a funny thing because for, so on our side, Nico, on our side of the water here, that start time was rich for everyone on this side, right? Because because we got blast off, right? So for us, when we say 2019 years, those people had it easy. You didn't start having it easy until recently, right? And you guys had a rough run. It wasn't just COVID, right? Because on our side of the world, right, everyone thinks, oh, if you started right before COVID, you were golden, right? Because that's how it worked out on our side is these people that jumped in, we all had the six or eight weeks where we were all panicked and didn't know what life looked like. But it's easy for our the predominant number of our listeners to just think, oh, you started at the right time. The reality for you is you sat and really grinded for a while, right? Yeah, that's right. And I guess from our perspective, we got started properly in, in the summer of 2019. And we had those individual apartments. And then there was that whole European crackdown on residential short-stay rentals. And uh, there's like, oh, secret hotel this, secret hotel that. And we're like, oh, man, our business model's going to be dead soon in this format. So at that point, we were like, okay, we need a commercial property. And I'm from Helsinki, Finland, lived in five countries, but that's my hometown. And my business partner's from Germany. And we're like, man, we can't get a No, We're getting laughed out of all these commercial property owner prop companies and funds. 
so we took a 80, 80, 80 mile boat down south to the capital of Tallinn, one of the smallest European countries, and found our first property here, actually. So we got started in a country that nobody had ever been at, which is actually a super developed country and the biggest you know, sort of E societies in the world. They do the elections online. I know Americans that said that's a touchy subject, but uh, <laughs> but they, they do all of that stuff and it's a great place to be at. But then we were just like, wow, we found our first customers. Summer was boom, starting to be booming. Then it's October. It starts to be pretty crickets. And they're like, oh, we probably should contact some B2B customers. And then we found the B2B customers are like, yeah, we're like, it's getting on the run. And it's, but we managed to, we managed to impress a couple of investors well enough that we were able to get a, a funding, not just to hold over during the pandemic, but take advantage of the fact that every other operator in town was panic and holding still and actually getting more supply, aka more, more commercial properties. Could you speak to that a little bit more about the exact model that you use? Were you going in there and the arbitrage model is one that we've talked about before. You're bought, you're leasing the whole building or renting the whole building, paying a fixed fee, and then you make the difference? Or is it, I'm going to give you X percent of the revenue? How does that work? If And I may realize it may be different depending on the building. The short answer is leases and management deals. Okay. Longer answer is all every European market's individual. And that's a nuance around here. There's more differences than you'd have in the States. But management de agreements aren't as big of a thing as they are in the States. So we'd like to do more management agreements, but they're not as readily available. Uh, I'm talking commercial building management agreements. You do have management agreements for the sort of temporary residential short-term letting. But so we do a mix of fixed, fully fixed. Then we've got pro, uh, fixed, but with a performance-based piece to it. And then we have management agreements. So we do a mix of them. We'd probably prefer more management agreements, but we make do with the markets and the market realities we're facing. Yeah. Adam, I was going to go your direction around the technology comments that Nico had as he was going through those pieces because he comes from this world of technology startups and starting this that type of company and then selling it, now getting into this. Do you think that this is the model where this is... It's harder to replicate, but is there more of a moat around a business like Nico's where he can control more of the tech stack as opposed to the kind of plug and play, which is very common approach amongst money companies here in the US? What's your thoughts on that, Adam? Yeah, so that's where my head was going with some of that discussion as, as well, Conrad. And I was um, definitely looking forward to your uh, thoughts around how you guys thought through building your tech stack, Nico, because, and I, to be honest, uh, so I was on the sales side on a couple of different vendors and I think I talked with some people from Bob W at Breezeway at one point because we were, you guys were scaling around the same time. I was at there, I think 2019, 2020. So it was about the time where you guys were thinking through your tech stack. So when yeah. you were going through that, I know that there were some thoughts about, do we buy it off the shelf? Do we build it in-house? In the US, we've seen that discussion happen for a number of years. And I, I see pros and cons on both sides. I think that some of the boom that happened for the managers in the US also happened for the vendors in the US. And I think that they didn't necessarily use that newfound funding to continue to develop. So I, I think that you got some people, some of our technology is lagging a little bit. And then as part of that, I don't think the managers were also focused on building internally as much. It was more of this, hey, how do we operate in this hyper-focused growth period where we've got a lot of people coming in, but we don't necessarily have time to think about how to build our business models. So we're in this point right now where I think we're at a crossroads where either the vendors need to really step up and start to develop again. Again, thinking about the economic times, that's a, a hard thing to think about because they're also thinking about how to survive. But then you've also got the managers who are trying to think, hey, do I truly rely on the existing vendors? Do I have to think about building some of this in-house? Or can I look at some new fresh vendors that are coming in that might have some fresh ideas? 
I see value in all of that, but I do think it's a crossroads for a lot of people right now because the economic times that we're in are going to force people to make some decisions one way or the other. So how did you guys think about that build in-house versus thinking about what might be existing off the shelf? That's a, that's a good question, Adam. I think, first of all, our ethos is we're a tech company operating hospitality. That being said, having been in tech for over a decade is building stuff is a pain in the butt. And the, as long as you can get away with not doing it, don't do it. And we started what we call no code policies. We're not going to code anything until we really find the best products on the market and then figure out where the gap is. You, what you want to do is you want to spend time and, and energy and effort and resources. If you're going to do something proprietary, it better add value where there isn't a, a readily available stack out there to do. There's billions of dollars that's been poured into this industry through VC money, through private equity money to create amazing pieces of software. The average hotel runs on 20 pieces of software. We put that stack together first, and then we started figuring out, like, where are the pain points? Okay, PMS is the integrations are weak. You don't get all the features. Okay, great. Let's do our own integration through there. All right, we're not capturing on the data. Okay, let's build the Bob W backend and start capturing the data. Ah, the, the consumer apps are, or the or the sort of guest-facing apps, they're... They're clunky, they're inconsistent, we don't get any control out of it. Let's build that thing ourselves. But again, you mentioned Breezeway. We basically, we use Breezeway uh, today still. We we have a custom integration with them where we're pushing a lot of our own smarts of our own backend into that, but there's still great value in having the Breezeway products. So I, I think ultimately, unless you see, we, our ethos is unless we see clear value in it, which basically means make more revenues, create efficiencies or add to the customer experience. And through that kind of principle, we're not trying to say, okay, average hotel runs on 20 pieces of software. Let's get rid of all 20 and instead do it all ourselves. Instead, we're trying to figure out is where can we actually build competitive advantages, USPs in the proposition? And that's really where we focused on basically this bulletproof entry experience, like the core experience of checking in on our app beautifully, seamlessly, being able to get through the doors, getting the basics in the guest area, what have you, that just being absolutely bulletproof, focusing on the marketplace so that we actually bring those services really to life for you consistently, regardless of which one of our properties you're staying at. And then mass customization. So we have today, 100 different, two people come to the same apartment, 100 different variations to the experience, depending on what loyalty level you are. Are you coming with a kid? Are you allergic to something? And stuff just happens and we don't screw it up because it's all automatically pushed to the cleaners who don't get paid unless they hit the to-do list that it's been done, et cetera. So I think there's amazing stuff out there, amazing tech out there. And I think it's you can build a great business in this space without building the technology because it does come at a great cost. Uh, but then if you really identify opportunities that isn't available there and you're saying, okay, this is worth the investment and this is worth the upkeep because there's a cost on doing that, then, then it's worth it. And then for us, the outcome has been, is our thing is, our mission is create the, a five-star hospitality experience for every guest, every visit at scale while transitioning the hospitality industry into a sustainable one. The only way you're going to do that really is have a five-star experience really for everybody is get rid of human error. And for to do that, you need technology and you need to elevate 
certain parts of the experience and you need to take the mistakes away from that. So for us, then having focusing on these, the core UXs, that, that, that customization piece and that customer service customization piece and the marketplace and a couple of other features or areas and USPs, that's allowed us that today we're ranked 4.7 out of five. We're literally Europe's best ranked international hospitality operator. Literally, NPS score hovering just shy of 80. We like the, literally the best product market fit in terms from a customer service perspective, which just answers the question where that what you get Airbnb for the Airbnb generation, you know, that's growing up and, and wanting to see that. So I think technology is only valuable if you can make it valuable, not for the sake of it. I want to mention one thing. I'll swing it back your way because there's a lot that we could dig into with, with Nico there. But one, I want to point out to all the listeners what Nico said there around hotels, 20 plus pieces of software to run a hotel. I think that's a piece that this industry doesn't really recognize, especially having been a salesperson on the tech side. There seems to be this drain around tech stacks and, oh my gosh, how do I have to log into all these things? The reality is that this is a very complicated business. Hotels are even easier and they're using 20 plus pieces of software. So we've got to recognize that tech stacks are a necessity. You've got to choose the right ones. You've got to build on top of it. The only small follow-up question I've got for you, Nico, there, and I, I completely align with your approach there. I'm always a believer that you use what's off the shelf until you find a reason that justifies not to use what's off the shelf. But the, the natural inclination for a lot of companies, once they start heading down the path where you guys did customizing and building on top of things, is to potentially come around and start offering that type of technology back into the industry, whether it's white labeled or your own product. Are you guys thinking about that? Is that part of your plan to push some of your products back out? Listen, we were approached by one of the largest players in Europe for service departments for to do exactly that. But I guess we figured that, hey, it's our USP. It's our it's our growth engine. It's it allows us to scale the that we we grew we grew eight x twenty one twenty two three x last year and, and we're continuing on that path now, and that's allowed by technology. Not so much that oh okay if we license it out or we do a software version or franchise as a service or that kind of or that kind of thing that necessarily that would kill our USP. But it's a question of focus. So for us, it's like, all right, let's be our own best customers for some time longer. And there there probably will be a time when we will open it up. But that seems right now, after some analysis, a distraction. So we're trying to- I like that it. answer, Nico. I, I like that answer because um, it means that the investment funding that you're getting isn't hinging on the fact that you guys could be a tech company that's going to sell the tech. It's hinging, hinging on you guys being a great hospitality company. So that that's nice it, to hear. And you just since you brought up with this investment into tech, I think for some this tech multiple, which is the term always coined of, you, hey, you have got a tech company and you're going to get a tech multiple on it. In most industries, that thing is going to be under duress for quite some time with the constrained capital markets in both in North America and, and Europe. The players are largely coming from the same pools anyways. Uh, so you're seeing this. Ultimately, it's not about having tech multiple. It's about having technology affecting those levers that then you multiply at the end of the day. Revenues, EBITDA. Customer satisfaction, etc. All these—that's at the end of the day. So for us, it's not about oh, let's have cool tech that we can sell it someday. It's about how does the technology at the end of this year, what what needles would have moved to to uh, to a better direction. 
Yeah. The thing that we poked at before on this show when we've talked about it is this idea of the that it should enable you to have greater margins, right? The whole point of technology is that, like you were saying earlier, a per, maybe a person is replaced or things are more efficient or you're able to get more revenue out of something. So he's, Nico said a few trigger words, Scott, I want to go your direction because he said people, he said hospitality, and he said like all those different trigger words there. I don't know if I have a well-formed question other than what's your reaction to this idea of technology is always there helping, but how do we make sure that we use that in a good way, but we don't use it in the way that some people might think, which is it's this cold, impersonal experience where we don't deliver great hospitality. How do we find the right balance as well. Yeah. So, so the funny part is as Nico was talking and he said, best of both worlds, I was looking at his mm -hmm. shirt and I was like, that's what Bob W is. Right. So, so there, there was that moment for me, Conrad, but the, that, that was the part that kind of solidified my agreement with Nico, right. It is because it is, it's the best of both worlds, right. Is how do you stack that technology high enough and deep enough where it's, to, to Nico's point, where it's solving as many things as it can. Listen, you, Bob W. still is going to need legs and arms and all of those things, right? We're never going to outrun that. But I like the fact that Bob can carry it further than what most people can, right? I, I think the the more that Bob W. can carry it before we, before we got to throw our hands up and say, okay, I've done all I can do. I think that's strong. And, and I think that is a difference maker. Back when we had Steven and Jamie on, the one thing they both say, and they're both huge AI guys, is allow AI, allow technology to give the humans, give the people more room to do the better stuff. And, and it sounds to me, that's what we're looking at with best, best of both worlds. Amen. And if I may interject, we, our roots being in the service department, short stay rental space, the, sorry, Airbnb rental world and vacation rental world. So like we are in this sector of industry that managed to do, not everybody, but a large chunk of hosts managed to do amazingly empathetic hospitality without actually ever meeting the hosts. And that for that purposes, I think this industry is, or are this sector so well placed to actually take that learning forward and you don't need that front desk. So I'm going to, I'm going to use a, like an interesting anecdote from the traditional hotel industry, which is all about, hey, you got to keep that for, you got to keep that front desk, that face to face. So you get a chance to create a, a, a relationship with the guests, et cetera, and they hold on to it for dear life. So then listen, I'm all for having personal experiences face to face. That can be a great add on. That's one of the ways to connect with people. But if you think about it, so is really the best way to connect, have an empathetic exchange with somebody by making them wait in line, making them fill credit card details, a uh, piece of paper of the same shit you already filled once at on booking.com or Airbnb or wherever, and, 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 and getting a key card ready. Like we have all that technology and that data in the customer data already available. So why spend time with that? Rather spend the time, if you really want to have a face-to-face, have somebody wait at the doors. Hey, what's up, man? Welcome to the spot. Hey, want to take really good care of you. I can drive you to a restaurant if you want. I can help you with this or that. That's a lot better way to do it. But hoteliers were like obsessed with this. Oh, we got to have the face-to-face, -face, which is just mind boggling. And then they said, okay, let's bring technology. And they bring kiosks. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you've got that same dude who used to be behind the desk hovering around the kiosk trying to teach you how to use that crappy UX and then print some random key cards. 
and this kind of stuff. And, and now the biggest thing that, you know, saw in a recent tech fair was a hologram front desk. Come on, let it go. We've got all the data or technology, data, everything's here, like in the phone. Come on. So I, I, so we don't, we in this sector don't have the constraints of the, hey, this is what a three-star hotel should do. So let's make sure we don't put those horse flaps on and think narrowly. And I think that combined with technology gives this sector a massive opportunity to really apply a huge rethink. Yeah, it, it, it's a funny thing, Nico. You you took me back to the old days, my airline days, right? Because when when we put kiosks in, we did exactly what you just said. And, and I was reminded of it, right? It was, we didn't cut a single person. Instead, we had them all around the other side of the counter helping with kiosks, right? It, and it was this like, no, it really needs to work, right? And, and we're having to put all of this bandwidth into helping people figure it out. When you look at it and go, you know, now that was early. Three years later, you got your boarding pass on your phone. You don't need any of it. You just walk by boop, and you keep on rolling. There is something real to that, the, the forced interaction where you look and go, Given the choice, they would rather not even see you or see that kiosk. Help them get past all the way. Yeah. And again, I think that's witnessed by the food apps, too, and all these 100%. technology pieces. Yeah. Those kind of interchanges, they can be great, but not necessarily doesn't add value. And that's where there are many different ways how we can have a great relationship with our guests and provide a great experience that doesn't require that traditional. Well, Nico, let's touch on that because I know we're coming close to the end. There was two things there that really jumped out to me. One, when you were talking about tech just a couple minutes ago, you mentioned that you could have a different experience for everybody that came through. So that's yeah. one area that I'm very interested in. How do you collect this preferential information so you know what to, how to tweak the experiences? And then once you do that, to your point around that whole conversation, this is something that we are exceptionally focused on is how to continue to build this hospitality experience. How do we build the relationships with our guests? Because I think you're 100% right. Huge opportunity, but I don't know that many people have done it well up to this point. It seems like what you guys are doing is, is definitely working for you guys, but at least based on the scores, but also based on the anecdotal stories that, you, that you're sharing with us. So one, how do you collect the information? And then two, how do you think about those hospitality experiences being so tech enabled and having a little bit more of that hands off, where do you insert that hospitality touch? Well, one, one, first of all, we have our check-in app and which is used by hundred percent of the, of the customers where we get your real email address, your real phone number, and we start a with Bob and it's very casual chat based. 80% of our customers respond to our chat messages, which is WhatsApp. Uh, number one, if that, then the backup moves to SMS. And if it doesn't recognize an SMS that the, the message didn't go through, then emails the last one because that's the sort of least interactive format. Uh, so we create that relationship. And then first time you fill up that data, believe it or not, we remember what you said next time, which is, I know it's really tough for a old school hoteliers to believe you go to your favorite hotels. Is this the first time you're staying with us? No, it's the 10th, but thanks. And uh, we remember all of that. Then from a customer service perspective, we've got tools as well where we enrich your profile depending on what kind of answers you're giving us. Then, of course, you have the marketplace where you might have made purchases or preferences. I need a baby crib, et cetera. Then we have, we've built a loyalty program. So you, we tier you in different tiers. And then through that, you'll either get things that you expect to get extras and perks, or then what we call Easter eggs. We do a bunch of surprises. And, and that kind of goes into it. So and then, so 
uh, actually, let me take a step back. Then that gets then relayed into our system. If it's a digital thing, like an up, we have what we call automated upgrades as a surprise or as a as a paid feature. So if you're a certain loyalty program member, we'll just upgrade you and say, hey, Adam, just happy to have you here, man. We, we decided to upgrade you. Of course, in the back end, we're figuring out, are we actually going to sell that apartment? And if not, it's an easier upgrade to do for you. But then, so if it's digital, it happens in automation. Then, or then it, if it gets passed on, it goes to the cleaner apps. So we're able to actually then automatically because your profile is associated with a scent allergy, the cleaner gets, oh, 502, we got to remove the scent from it. Oh, by the way, that same guy is a VIP level three. So take VIP welcome gift from shelf B7 in the storage unit and then brings that into the apartment. And here's how you get those, be that baby cribs or be that allergenic pillows or be that uh, a surprise or an extra product that you purchase that you need inside the apartment. And we can make that happen. The key thing is there can't be any manual link in here. Now, in a way, the only manual link is the cleaner, but the cleaner is getting paid to move around the building anyways. And we're directing that workflow, which is, as with Breezeway, very clear on you got to do this in this apartment. If you don't do, you can't close the apartment. You can't move on to the next one and get the new to-do list. So the, the success rate of that's very high and failure rate is absolutely minute. So that's the way how we do that. Really collecting that data, remembering that data, and then applying it into either the digital product or into the actual property, which may namely is through cleaners. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. And I'd, I'd stress that goes back to our earlier conversation around technology and, and where it makes sense to build on top. My guess is that you guys are the ones who built all of the ability to store that information because it's not just the hoteliers that have a hard time figuring that out. None of the PMSs out there will store all of that information as well. So yeah. I think that's just one good example of where that makes sense. But the way that you describe that is is fantastic. And I know we're coming to the end, but there's so much that I, I think we should dig into. I'd, I would love to bring you back maybe later in the year and talk about some of the progress, maybe after you get the next round of funding. It, it would be my pleasure. It's it's coming sooner than later. So uh, you guys will be the first to know. Perfect. Yeah, no sorry. Point. I shouldn't have trash talked the storm because my power went out there in the middle of a recording, but it's all good. <laughs> Appreciate you guys continuing the torch there. Nico, it was great. I missed maybe one or two minutes out of it, but we got things back up and rolling here. So Nico, our last question, we can let you go because I do know you're up against the time-wise. Is there another guest that you think we should have on for our next episode here of the Art of Hospitality? We'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys should be talking to one of the most interesting tech that 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 we're very bullish about is IOT devices mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. just getting IOT devices, but having an outcome from it, which is easily tangible. You might get decibel readings in a property, but if you don't know what to do with it, it's a waste of everybody's time. Is it a party or is it an alarm? And you can actually tell the difference, but you need to analyze that data. And for that, we use mm -hmm. Minute, which is a European startup IOT device, decibel sensors, decibel temperature, humidity movement, Bluetooth detection. And it's just been key for us. And we've used a lot of their features and built our own features using their API. So they're just doing amazing stuff and they're all over the States, all over Europe. So I think you guys should talk to Niels, the co-founder there. Perfect. Happy to put you guys in touch. We're a happy customer for yeah, all of I our like properties that. at every single unit. Do some outreach, definitely aware of that brand and that company for sure. Awesome. Conrad, you close us out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for your time, Nico. Really appreciate you being here with us. Thank and, you. Uh, we know you got to catch a boat is our understanding. So <laughs> travel safe and uh, we'll talk down the road. Thank you so That's much. That's it. Thanks a lot, guys. Take it easy. Thank you. Appreciate it.